0: Hi everyone, welcome to Tyndall Talks, the Tyndall Center's official podcast. I'm Renee from the Tyndall Center at the University of East Anglia. Our episode today is about art and climate change. What is the role of art in the climate crisis? And how can museums respond to the climate crisis? The Sainsbury Centre for Visual Art is one of the most prominent university museums in the UK. It is located in the University of East Anglia campus, and has a collection of global art. Recently, the Saint'sbury Centre hired a curator of art and climate change who is here with us today, and it is the very first of its kind in the UK. Our guests today are Jago Cooper and John Kenneth Paranada. Jago is the director of the Saint'sbury Centre for Visual Arts and professor of art and archaeology at PEA. For more than 20 years, Jago has worked for and with museums, Universities, cultural ministries, and heritage organizations around the world to explore and communicate aspects of the great human story. He also worked for more than 20 years on the research and public communication of climate change with quite a few articles, books, museum exhibitions, and even some BBC documentaries focused on better understanding the human experience of environmental variability and climate impacts, as well as sitting on the steering committee for IHOPE. The Integrated History and Future of Peoples on Earth. John Kenneth Aranada is the Curator of Art and Climate Change at the Sainsbury Centre. He received his Master of Fine Arts in Curating with a focus on art in the Anthropocene at Goldsmiths College, University of London in 2016, and also Master of Advanced Studies in Curating with a focus on Social Sculpture at Zurich University of the Arts in Switzerland in 2015. He has also been working towards opening the Center for Ecology, Sustainable Transitions, and Environmental Consciousness in Los Baños, the Philippines, an experimental ecological platform for converging transdisciplinary practices on art, adaptations, and the climate crisis in Southeast Asia. So welcome, Jago and Ken.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having
2: us, Renee. Glad to be here.
0: Thank you. I think uh, you two are th- two of the best people we can have on this episode to talk about the role of art in the climate crisis. So, first, I am very curious about this role, Ken and, and Jago. What does a curator of art and climate change do, and why did the Sainsbury Center create this role? For
1: the- the Science Centre really wants to be a sort of socially engaged museum. And for me, that requires you to be up to date with the most important things that are going on in the world. And nothing can be more important than climate change. So from very early on, I wanted to create this distinct role that was called you know, Curator of Art and Climate Change that could really help us engage the public with the topic. And then that's what I think. Ken, what do you think the role is all about?
2: I mean, uh, the role I think entails articulating the complexities of the climate crisis, and looking at the distinction between historical climate change, the Anthropocene, and all of this uh, upheavals in our climate, caused obviously by you know rapid advancement of technology, extraction of resources, without actually thinking about sustainability in a future that is resilient towards all of this uh, upheavals that we have caused in the planet. And so I think uh, the museum or the Sainsbury center is a very uh, special place because Jago's vision is to basically create a laboratory or a museum as a laboratory to experiment and look at different types of visuality and understanding the climate crisis in a deeper way.
0: Thanks, Ken. And I'm I'm curious because Ken, this is the first uh, kind of its role in the UK, and uh, you are the first person to be hired in this role. How does it feel? Are you do you feel pressured to do to do the role?
2: I'm actually very honored, and uh, I think. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure obviously because what we want is impact and, and social change and those things are are hard, especially in the medium of art because we all know that arts power to captivate is actually, um, you know, more for a lingerie. It doesn't happen automatically art doesn't cause a revolution in, you know in 24 hours what is what it does though is it makes us reflect deeper in terms of like where we are in terms of what our humanity or probably our progress in creating a more societal, or you know a better society or a more kind of like sustainable future and so there's a lot of pressure in in kind of like making that work and obviously it's very ambitious but i think uh, what we're gonna do, or, or or what we're trying to achieve, is basically, you know, just creating a discourse to further, um, you know, under to further understand, um, you know, that the conversations surrounding uh, this very kind of like, you know, uh,
1: existential problem. Mm hopefully you don't feel too pressured because I think there's definitely going to be sort of an experiment and a start of a journey and we'll just have to sort of see how it goes. And I think we'll learn so much but when we're developing our future program, and we start experimenting with different types of exhibition, that we'll be, we'll learn along the way. So in a way, that means there's hopefully not too much pressure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's <and> small <laughs> be because it's yeah. in collaboration with different stakeholders, different specialists. Hmm. The Tindall for uh, the Center for climate change research is a fantastic resource, hmm. and with all of those types of, um, you know knowledge base and pooling of different experiences um, from all the the climate activists Mm. in Norfolk, I think we have a fantastic program that we could be proud of and it will be definitely global and international in terms of its impact.
0: Thank you. I think my next question you've already touched on a little bit. Um, so when we talked about the when we talk about the climate crisis or climate change in general, we rarely hear about, I guess, art. Um, uh, It's always climate science, it's always very technical, very scientific. And so what is the role of art in the climate crisis and what role can museums play in engaging the public with the huge challenges presented by the current climate crisis?
1: Well, for me, the word art is really just like the manifestations of human creativity. And it is essentially the whole set of value systems, perspectives on the world. Art isn't this sort of detached thing that becomes a sort of focus of study. It's actually just a reflection of all humanity. And art comes from every single human society that's ever existed. And therefore, it's the perfect medium for understanding different people's values and perspectives on the world. And therefore, using that to reflect back out into the world, those different perspectives, is a crucial medium. Um, And then the museum sort of aspect of that question museums are this sort of perfect interface for society for me they're not just like reflectors of social change they're actually drivers of social change they bring people into that space they they give information they intrigue people to learn more they can inspire people to change their lives and do different things and so they are real drivers of social change and therefore that's why I'm excited about this this project
2: well, um, in recent years, the relationship between art and ecologies and the environment has uh, been increasingly vital as artists across the globe have started creating work to raise awareness about uh, environmental degradation and our impacts on the planet. Artists such as John Gerard, for example, uh, created this NFT work in 2022 on the global impact of burning 100 million barrels of oil per day- and dedicated 25% of the artist's proceeds to the atmospheric CO2 removal. And then the rest of the proceeds will be donated- to regenerative farming organizations across the globe- to help farmers adapt to a more sustainable form of farming- an approach that moves beyond harmful petro-agriculture and the use of nitrogen fertilizers and astrocene and all those kinds of like chemicals that has been banned in Europe is still like used in the global south. So I think artists as kind of uh you know um are doing uh, a form of activism that uses, as Jago puts it, an interface to culture. It's that art or that glue that holds how we actually, you know function in society and and these are like the, the the objects that that makes us understand what is actually happening around there or our local environments and our global sort of uh understanding of this
0: yeah that's a good point um I think a lot of the discourse on climate change can be too technical and too scientific but tapping into art and you know allows us to, as you said, um, gain more perspectives or a different kind of experience um, to look at the climate crisis. And I was wondering, um, I know you've both worked in different projects before, in different museums. How have some of your past projects in the arts and museum space engaged the public, public effectively? I mean, maybe in other issues too, and not just in climate change.
1: That's a very interesting question renee and just picking up on that point you made about how sometimes climate change can be perceived as too much of a sort of scientific or technological technological issue like for me just as much as being a scientific problem with a technological solution it's really a cultural problem with a social solution you know it's human behavior ultimately that is going to have to change and humans are going to have to engage in that process um, so, then referring back to the sort of projects that I've particularly worked on in the past, I, for a decade, I was the head of the Americas um, at the British Museum. And I, my very first interview when I went for the job in 2011, they say, you know, what exhibition would you like to do if you got this job? And I said, I want to do an exhibition on climate change. And then it took me seven years of getting that through the systems of a sort of large museum to, to make that actually work. And then we opened Arctic Culture and Climate um, in 2019. And it was a fascinating exhibition where we looked at essentially saying, Arctic sea ice is gonna all but gone within 25 years. like, And then for the last 15,000 years, you've got, indigenous communities in North America who have been living with environmental change and are now currently on the front line of climate change as we speak. What are the sort of technological innovations, cultural adaptations, societal frameworks within that that idea of change actually acts out in a reality? And then what objects both from the past and the present can we look at to sort of see that lens of human experience of change um, and then the experience of the actually going around the exhibition for people who obviously most of whom had never been to the Arctic was very opening up of their mind seeing what change looked like looking at these huge storms eroding the coastlines looking at these very dramatic images of sort of permafrost melting and then seeing these artistic responses to that changing landscape formed within a sort of uh in a, a, a sort of social construct of how the environment was perceived was fascinating because it you know changed people's minds I uh, don't know that's for me Ken I don't know what project you've worked on that are sort of you felt were sort of successful in that space
2: well my kind of like uh i guess background is more on um performance and engagement but centered on the discourse of climate change and the anthropocene so it is um talking about the crisis in the guise of different ideas but interrelated to each other so you're creating a node for example um quantum computing what does that do with climate change and you know environmental upheavals right and so uh, my interest is more in terms of like trying to talk about it to material, to kind of like technologies and and history and uh, globalization and all those kinds of factors that actually influence this sort of idea of what is a modern kind of like life or what is sort of like the contemporary kind of like ways of consumption. Um, So for me, what is effective is when we don't talk about it from a perspective that is bleak and and basically sapping your energy to even engage with it. Because, you know, climate science will tell us that uh, all of these things are obviously sort of like irreversible. And so how do you coax people to be part of the the struggle or or the cost if we keep instead of like giving them all of this? Obviously, these are hard facts. These are science. But... I think we need to be more hopeful and we need to sort of like create narratives, pointing at ones at that to actually
1: uh, entice people and move them into action. I think it's a really good point. And in a, sort of a, a museum exhibition, you can do that. You can have sort of light and shade. You can have sort of like stark reality and then you can have hopeful mm. innovation and you can sort of take people on a bit of a journey that allows them to dwell with what are incredibly challenging topics mm. in their lives and give them a sense that there's a sort of a way of dealing with it, a way of thinking about it. And then often if you take people into other environments that they're not used to, either sort of artistically or culturally, then it just lets them dwell in that a bit and like lets them sort of live it in a slightly different way, in a way they can feel comfortable. And I think they're trying to get people to sort of move towards social change. That's a really nice way of trying to do it.
0: Those are very good points. And actually in climate communications, we always say, you know, don't be too gloom and doom um, because a lot of people tend to feel like now we, what are we going to do about it? The problem is too big and they feel overwhelmed. And so that message of uh, inserting hope, uh, inserting solutions that there are things we can do and injecting that into into spaces like museums and art galleries. Um, And having people experience that, I think it's a a very important part of finding solutions to climate change. And actually, just following on from the previous question and the previous points that you both uh, raised about engaging the public, um, we know that galleries and museums, sometimes they tend to be quite elite places. Um, They are attended by a particular class and type of people. Um, And I know the Sainsbury Centre wants to engage uh, more of the public to come and see uh, the exhibitions that's going to happen and are happening. So how will the Sainsbury Centre in particular be reaching out to the wider public um, with its climate change exhibitions?
1: Sure. I'm sure that many of your listeners may never have heard of the same centre before, so I'll just explain a little bit about it. It was um, founded in the 1970s uh, by an incredibly visionary group of people who wanted to break the orthodoxy of how museums were normally constructed. So it commissioned a then quite unheard of architect called Sir Norman Foster, Um, to create his first ever public building. And so you have this huge shaped beautiful architectural sculpture, and then within it, it created the first equal platform for all forms of art, no matter where and when it was made, in this sort of cultural dialogue across the space with the idea that you democratised globally the perspective of different human perspectives of the world through art. Um, And so it's always been a place that's been quite rule breaking and trying to get sort of these different ways of thinking about art out into the world. World. And so we definitely are trying to pick up on that legacy and find total free public access to people to come and experience the art that the shows that we're putting on now. Um, and so only just a couple of months ago, we introduced a universal pay only if you can, and whatever you want ticket system so that all of our temporary exhibitions you can come to for free if you if and you don't have the resources to to pay for it and we're extremely keen of developing a sort of totally public access to the institution because really is it and that word elite is, is an unfortunate one but it is sometimes it can be associated with museums and it's got to be changed like art is the most universally powerful social mechanism for creating inspiration and change and so therefore for me Everyone has to have an opportunity to do it. And that starts a little bit with kids. So we have a huge schools program here bringing up to 10,000 school kids a year, making sure that everyone gets a chance as a young child to come in and come to the museum in the local area. And that really helps to sort of start people on that journey.
2: Well, we recognize this as a vital issue. I mean, elitism in the art world has always been kind of like the, the, the criticism about it. And we plan to disrupt this as Jago uh, has, like, you know, kind of like elucidated. We plan by engaging uh, responsive communities through outreach and championing indigenous voices and local international artists. Artists that has been left out from uh, the canons of, I guess, the, the Western art world and highlighting uh, voices from the global south, but also in dialogue with uh, the local uh, Norwich
1: and Norfolk
2: communities and artists.
1: Yeah, and right right now we've got a show on which is, um called Empowering Art, um, Indigenous Creativity and Activism from the North Northwest Coast of North America. And that's an entirely Indigenous artist-led show giving a very different global perspective on their ideas of society and the relationship with the environment.
0: Amazing. And actually, that, uh, your Jago, your uh, promotion of your last exhibition reminds me that there's a lot of talk recently about how do we decolonize narratives. And I guess that's also part of you know, how we need to transform art, like how do we kind of decolonize art in such a way that we give voices to indigenous perspectives, for example. Um, And, you know, the Sainsbury Centre has a beautiful sculpture park stretching out across woodland and water. And if our listeners have actually ever watched The Avengers, it's like one of the most popular uh, scenes uh, promoting the Sainsbury Centre. You can actually see all the trees and all the vast land um, of Sainsbury in the Avengers film. But, um, you know, given that the Sainsbury Centre is located in such a wonderful uh, location in nature, how can this direct engagement of art with nature be used to connect the public with the global environment and their role within it.
1: When the Saints Centre opened in the 1970s, this relationship with environment was intrinsic to the design. So they, Norman Foster imported the largest single panes of glass that were ever imported into the UK in 1978 and created this massive glass wall across two ends of the building. And then we actually had trees inside the building um as well as sort of looking out into the wooded landscape outside and the idea that there was this permeable barrier of art between the inside and outside space and that sculpture park now allows you to sort of walk within nature and be with art in an entirely immersive way. And then for artists it's a huge liberation for how to get people to think about that environment fundamentally different. So if you take a walk around the sort of lake we have out there as I look out of my window actually I can see it out there this lake spreading out across around into the woodland. We have a beautiful sculpture by like Lawrence Edwards that is this sort of stone figure emerging out of the trees surrounded by rocks and twigs carrying with them the vestiges of human impact on the local environment, and how that's changed over time. And then once you look at the sculpture, you see the sort of the different aspects of human influence on the landscape. And then you sort of sit on a bench for a while, and then look at that landscape and think about human impact in a different way. And it just provides a very lovely environment within which to do it, because you're not sat at a desk, you know, reading the newspaper, you know, you're actually just in the environment thinking about these issues. And it's a, it's a lovely place to dwell upon big topics.
2: Definitely, and then that's like the the beauty of the the Sainsbury Center. It has that um, sculpture park that that is actually, um, you know, part and parcel of the museum landscape itself. And and it kind of has that potential to call the landscape inside, but also sort of like relegate it back towards the outside. You know what I mean? So it's that kind of like uh, poetics of space. And there's so many, I guess exciting ways to activate those things and to make the audience be part of the landscape and be part of that sort of like goal to you know be more aware about like um, our ecological problems and just having that eco-consciousness in terms of like consumption and what things they can change in terms of like um, their lives or our lives and and kind of just like bettering it in terms of like small things, probably walking more, taking uh, the bus or, you know, taking, um, I don't know, public transportation or introducing vegan diets into our, you know, very carnivorous sort of like uh, diets.
1: I mean, I also think it's a nice canvas for you, Ken, because that, that's a place where we can hopefully commission artists to work in that natural environment and come up with like sculptures and interventions and interactions for people where they can really play with those ideas explicitly, which would be fun.
0: Definitely. And uh, if you didn't know, um, so I, I started at the UEA in 2017 as a master's student and it was the woodland and the nature and the lake that really drew me. To, uh to the UEA um uh, just like can I actually studied uh, my bachelor's in los baños in uh, the Philippines And you know, it's at the foot of the mountain. It had a lot of trees, and so it was very much like the UEA. And it allows you to to reflect and have that moment of pause, as you said. And I imagine, uh, and I love the Saintsbury Center as well. I love going to the Sainsbury Center myself, and uh, having that space to to create art and to have some point of reflection. I think is, yeah, very important in the way we if we want to change people's behaviors. In terms of the climate crisis. Um, So, my next question is uh, very much leading towards controversies involving museums recently. And I'm sure our listeners. Have heard of it? It was, you know, in the news recently. Very controversial. Um, so there are a lot of activists, right, protesting about funding from fossil fuel companies. Um, uh, for example, the Rijksmuseum um, in Amsterdam. Um, they've been a topic of hot discussion because of funding from fossil fuel companies. And some activists have been defacing artworks, for example, by uh, Van Gogh and Klimt. And, you know, of course, these have gotten mixed reactions. Some people say, well, it's their right to protest and it's a good way to disrupt the art world. And some people are saying, but why are you defacing art? What is the point of this? Um, I'm just curious. What do you think about these actions?
1: Um, well, I suppose first it starts with activism. Like, I think activism is a fantastic thing. I think it's a really important driver of social change, that people are not apathetic and they, they drive themselves to try and draw attention to issues that they feel passionate about. I think that's a great thing. I also think it's good in some ways that the museum is 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 recognised as being this sort of cultural icon of identity and cultural value. And therefore, that is why they're being used to express this activism. Um, but then obviously, I'm a sort of, you know, uh, my heart, I'm, a, I'm someone who's passionate about these, for me, these sort of living entities of art, and I care passionately for them. And therefore, I never want them to be damaged or harmed. And therefore, that for me is like, you know, it's not, n- none of this is their fault. You know what I mean? Like, it isn't their fault of this particular artwork, often from a historical period, that, that, that climate change has resulted. Therefore, I feel it really unfair that- <laughs> the thing's being damaged and hurt for something that it didn't do. um. But I appreciate the reason and and therefore I want to care for them. And that's my job is to look after these things and make sure they're cared for. So I suppose that's my sort of perspective on it. A bit.
2: Well, for me, I'm very empathetic to the cost and the value of environmental activism and protest. I support forms of poetic dissent and civil disobedience. The acts that you mentioned are based on the human capacity to be stubborn and devoted it's part and parcel of a healthy democracy and a powerful tool for advocating social and political change. While I understand that activists need to be destructive, I prefer nonviolent methods and strategies. Rather than aggressively striking out at art galleries and museums, I highly encourage environmental activists to collaborate instead with cultural and heritage institutions to co-create programs and exhibitions Geared at amplifying civic engagement, environmental protection and sustainability, and all of this kinds of like uh, amazing kind of like performances can be done at a museum. it's more effective. We invite the public to come, and
1: nobody gets hurt. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I was chatting with a guy who um worked with Extinction Rebellion. Very closely for the last four years, um, and has had the front row seat in looking at how that very successful activist movement has has had an impact. But uh, but actually, the reason we had a conversation is that he's interested in coming to UEA to actually study and research and collaborate with the Saints Centre because he was saying that basically activism can you know can only go so far in many ways, and actually understanding the real mechanisms of of behavioural change and actually moving society requires like lots of different perspectives and and for me the museum is is a crucial one in that and i think that he would hopefully agree with that that there are lots of different mechanisms social change activism is one but then there can be other ones as well at the same time and they're not mutually exclusive like we all want to pull in the same sort of direction and therefore i think that that can happen um and so that's a sort of i think that's quite but i think it provokes interesting debate
0: yeah. I just remember that there was this, uh, I guess, performance by activists at the Tate in 2015, where they tattooed uh, uh, CO2 concentrations based on the year you were born. And I thought that was actually quite a good way of engaging the public, um, but you know, not defacing art in itself, yeah. um, as Ken said. So I think there are def- definitely a lot of ways that activists and uh, artists can come together to disrupt spaces. Um, Yeah, I guess my follow-up question would be, uh, on this topic, a lot of museums are saying it's really difficult for them to not accept, I guess, uh, funding um, from fossil fuel companies because obviously it's a lot of money; it's what keeps them going. So, is it? Do you think it's possible for the art world or for museums and galleries to totally distance themselves from fossil fuel companies?
1: Um, it's a good question. I had something else I was gonna say on the last one, which was that um that I was sorry, I was finishing up on the last one because this is a thought and um I want to work work with activists. Like hopefully Ken your job will be to work with activists and really engage them in the museum space. That's exactly what we want to do. But there's this slightly weird paradox that then we sort of become the institution and then totally. we become the system and we're boring. Uh-huh. And it's like are we actually sort of co-opting and like corrupting these activists by just working with them and collaborating with them and giving them the space? So that mm. tension is quite an interesting one and I don't That's like thinking cool of myself that. I don't like thinking of myself as being the system, just because we run an <laughs> institution. But um, but that's a typical one to do. And then on the money front, I mean, luckily here we don't. We obviously don't accept any. Don't take any money from fossil fuel companies here at the Sage Centre. But it, but historically, this is a huge issue, and it's an incredibly difficult one. And I feel very sorry for institutions that are many arts institutions are incredibly. You know poverty-stricken and desperate for funds. And um, and my job is to come up with enough money to keep all the staff employed, and I have to work very hard on that every year. So I feel huge sympathy for people who need to take money from places where there are issues around areas of ethics and morality. Um, and it's absolutely not an easy question to answer. Um, and I and someone who needs money, then like I feel like I'm the wrong one to ask because I feel like I'm mm-hmm. I'm already corrupted by my my inner need to get the money. So maybe Ken, you should ask this one because you're not you 100 responsibility to keep, <laughs> keep 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 the keep the money coming and to pay people. I mean, it's really a complex conversation
2: because um, you know throughout art history, art has been funded by patrons, right? And, and so I guess in the 21st century, we need to redefine this and we need to sort of like reassess how cultural and heritage institutions gets funded. And obviously, in my head, in an ideal scenario, it's the government that funds this. And because we function as an educational institution, we, uh, you know, elucidate all of this particular problems of climate change and translate it into something visual, something transformative. And I think the government should pay for that and the government should support these kinds of endeavors. But that is not reality. Art has always been sort of like least priorities for governments. And that's why, you know. the art world kind of like goes into all of this private streams of money but now is like high time to reassess where where we're getting it from and probably just being vigilant in terms of like making sure that uh, the funding that we're getting is actually you know, clean money. I'm, I'm not even
1: sure if there is such a thing as
2: clean money in the 21st century.
1: Right, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it, goes, like, it goes down to, to like aggregates. I mean, like we're incredibly fortunate that the same centre is funded by a family, which essentially were green grocers. You know, they were basically funded supermarkets and did well out of the 20th century uh, development of supermarkets, which is quite, ethically, morally pretty sound and strong. And they were basically, you know, helping society to feed themselves. And um but like all like you say, like all sort of aggregated wealth in some ways comes from some form in some way of exploitation. Um and therefore it does create huge issues. But it's is a societal wide one. For me, it turns into which the interesting aspect is that we're almost in a sort of supra governmental state now in large amounts of philanthropy. So when you look at some of the big billionaire like donors around the world, they're always looking for their things like the Gates Foundations and sort of these sort of things. And it's like, where does arts play a role in that? like there are certain things that like have immediate issues of conflict and disease Mm. and medicine and now climate change is definitely one of them like the climate there are people trying to get climate change but the problem is big sort of philanthropic donors is they often want a quick fix they want to sort of invest some sort of weird geotechnology that's going to do something dramatic which absolutely (laughs) terrifies me and actually like things which feel softer like human understanding through the arts of climate change issues maybe it's not quite as easy to sell to some of those bigger sort of those bigger sources of, of Revenue, so it's a challenge because if the government's not funding it, mm-hmm. you're not getting it from the sort of big, sort of current big philanthropists. You're not going to take it from sort of like people you don't take from fossil fuel money. Like it, it gets harder and harder for me to come up with the cash. <laughs> like it's yeah. and it's it's difficult, and uh so I have to be resourceful and find it. And uh I'll do that. Maybe we'll do it with the performances. Well, I uh, will get people to do these things, then get them to come in, and then but we'll have to find a way. But it is tricky. <laughs> it's a tricky one. But everyone needs yeah. money. But on the outside, yeah. it's, but it's a tricky thing to find.
0: Yeah, definitely understandable. And then we go into the philosophical discussion of you know, as Ken said, what what is there such thing as ethical money these days? You know, um, but yeah, I get it. it's a very difficult discussion, and uh, it's it's been going on. The discourse has been going on around, um, in the art world certainly, and but I know that the Saint's Presenter, Center, as Chago said, you know, you it's always been different. Um, But what else are you doing differently regarding climate and environment? And what can we expect from the museum going forward?
1: Well, fundamentally, we have a totally different program of exhibitions that's going to start from the autumn. So um, I had this pithy phrase, I told the staff in one of my talks when I first joined the place, that we're not going to do another exhibition on art, despite the fact that we're an art museum. So basically what we want to do is take these six month seasons and then take one big question that then we allow art to sort of address and engage people with. So our big question that we'll be starting in um in the in the autumn will be um how do we adapt to a transforming world? so we take one big question and then we have like lots of different interventions and ideas and then we reach out to the broader community across the university across the local community across the world for people who want to engage in that topic and then we sort of we get them to come in and say right i've got a really great plan i've got this fantastic contemporary artist or i've got this existing idea with a collection or i've got theater production i want to install inside your little show and then they all combine to answer the question through art in a different way um and that will be quite radical and it's going to be quite challenging to actually pull it off because traditionally shows um you know that you could know how to do them when I mean, this is a slightly different framework and then the first one's in the fall and, and ken's in charge so that's why it's a, it's a tough job so i do feel a bit sorry for ken at the moment he's got a lot on his plate it's uh, oh, actually
2: <laughs> very exciting and because of like uh the, the trail vision fish- trailblazing vision of Jago's, you know, kind of like, let's make this museum into something that actually has an impact towards um, its audiences and society in general. But I think in terms of like what we're trying to do differently at the Sainsbury Center, just to contextualize, according to research conducted by the Museum and Climate Change Network, hosted by the American Museum of Natural History, in the early 2000s, the pace of exhibiting climate change began to rapidly increase. Many of these exhibitions were within science museums and museums of natural history, and were primarily directed to be to explain the science of climate change. So scientists were the main actors employed in the narratives of this exhibition. But more recently, uh, climate change exhibitions are now being staged in a wider range of institutions, national museums, historical museums, aquarius, art museums, design museums, and museums created or, or centered on a wide range of specialist subjects. For example, the Waste Age exhibition in 2021 in London, um, our Time on Earth exhibition at the Barbican in 2022, and many other more exhibitions have been sort of like staged. But what we are doing differently at the Sainsbury Centre is that we will endeavour to translate scientific data on climate change and the Anthropocene into poignant stories and on a human level through art and material cultures. To reflect on the implication of the Anthropocene and historic climate change on human societies and our changing world, exploring more effective but also philosophical aspects of the issue through artworks, platforming climate narratives, supporting people to find ways forward to providing hope and imagination in an increasingly challenging world, and to actively respond to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal 13 action plan, I mean, climate action, which is also sort of like the ethos of the Tyndall Center. Um, And so, yeah, it's all these kinds of like new framing that we're using to activate art and how it will appeal to society and how it can captivate and move us into action.
1: And I think that sometimes museums, sorry, I think that sometimes museums are seen as this sort of like authority that sort of gives you the information that you need to understand things. And like, let's face it, like no one really knows what (laughs) we're gonna do about climate change. And like, we're not pretending that we are the authority that's gonna solve the problem. And and that is a fundamentally different framework for a museum, you know, and therefore what we're saying is we are a space for people to come together to really play through this issue. We've got our own great perspectives. There's people we're going to work with have got great perspectives and then we're going to make it a really enjoyable and sort of friendly environment for people to come and engage with those topics. And I think that's what society needs now. And And, and it's not going to be us giving the answers, but it's going to be us all coming together to try and find them together.
0: Yes, I was just going to say that this all sounds very exciting and you can count on me to visit the uh, sainsbury <laughs> a lot <laughs> and uh, of course i would encourage our listeners especially if you are in norwich in the norfolk area or if you are visiting please come to the sainsbury center it's, uh, it's an amazing space uh, they have a uh, very good exhibitions and i guess my last question for both of you for any museums um, and artists out there who want also to get involved in the topic of climate change. Any advice on what they can do?
1: With us specifically, we'll be posting on our website a sort of call out for our future seasons, and then a system of how you can join some of our programming meetings. And what we're gonna try and do is just let allow people to pitch to us ideas over through that system. And then more generally, like globally, um, just get involved, like just just take the step of walking in there and and just thinking about things and getting get involved um and engage with the museums and like write them letters and just drop emails to the directors saying listen i'm what i would really like is to talk about this issue because i think that sometimes that museums and society more generally can be a bit slow to catch up. And so, like, lots of exhibitions are sort of slightly stuck in the old school model of how they were done going back to the Victorian era in many ways. And, um, and so, like, social change requires people to sort of say, hey, you know what? Let's not have another exhibition on, you know, Picasso. There's already another hundred of them around the world. Let's actually think about mid-20th century social change and, like, how that process of European centralization of power and wealth changed the world. And that's a sort of interesting take on it.
2: Well, for me, uh, I guess, um, as an advice, I mean, a general advice for artists wanting to create work concerning climate change, I would highly advise that they retain visuality, the environment, modernity, postmodernity, all of these complexities um, in the new epoch. So the language of art is constantly transforming with our ever-morphing world, and so we need artists to keep giving us hope and clear pathways because often the most powerful work are artworks that show us that it is still possible to live sustainably with the planet. As well as the, uh, you know, art that translates complex climate science data into multi-sensorial experiences that invigorates audiences and moves us into action. Because I think there is this kind of trend right now where artists loves portraying, you know, the end of the world and the end of humanity and all of this kinds of very dystopian future. I mean, I respect that type of aesthetic and narrative, but then I think we need something more hopeful, something that, you know, is kind of like um, forcing us to to do something about this. And because we are the ones responsible for the future and it's a collective
1: action. And there are fantastic people doing that around the world and it's about giving them the voice and giving them that sort of way of communicating it um, through art and material culture, which is, Brilliant. I like that.
0: Thank you. Thank you both for joining us today, Jago and Ken. And I certainly hope our listeners learned about the role of art and museums in the face of the climate crisis. And of course, again, if you're ever around in Norwich, do not forget to visit the Sainsbury Center. It's in the University of East Anglia campus. And uh, they have their exhibition on Indigenous Perspectives on Society and Environment on the Northwest Coast of North America. And it runs until the end of August this year. And as Jago said, there will be a new exhibition in October on how to adapt to
1: a transforming
0: world. So see you in the next Dindal Talks. And we also hope to
1: see you at the Saints Free Thanks so much, René, and to all the listeners for listening.
2: Thank you so much, René. Hope to see you guys soon. At the museum.